CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everyone. You are watching the Hash, and we are pretty in different shades of purple. (laughs) Some might say Wendy and I are in pink, but they are wrong. I'm Jensen Azzi. We got Zach Seward and Wendy O on the show today. Wendy, you're kicking us off. Zach, okay, let's just give Zach a moment. This is so bad. This is the trust fall. You let me fall and smash my head into the floor. Look at that pink clothes you're wearing. That is not purple. That is so pink. It's the lighting. I am. Wow, I'm leaving. Anyway. Take it away. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to sue you all for $100 million. Just kidding. So we're going to be doing a follow-up story here. Crypto custody from BitGo to sue Galaxy Digital for abandoning $1.2 billion merger agreement. So basically, Galaxy Digital yesterday announced the termination of its plan to acquire BitGo. And they claimed it was due to failure of delivery. I think that there was some sort of audited financial statements for last year that needed to be provided by BitGo, which was in the scope of the agreement. And BitGo failed to do that. So Galaxy Digital says, we don't want to acquire you. Now BitGo wants to go ahead and sue them. And they're stating, for its improper decision to terminate the merger agreement with BitGo, which was not scheduled to expire until December 31st, 2022, At the earliest and not to pay the $100 million revenue reverse break fee it had promised back in March of 2022 in order to induce BitGo to extend the merger agreement. BitGo said it will seek the $100 million fee and the amount in legal damages and Galaxy Digital says no termination fee is payable in connection with the termination. So we're going to see another crypto legal battle. Let me actually throw this to Jen because she is wearing purple today for her thoughts. (laughs) So... There's a quote here I want to point to from one of the lawyers that are representing BitGo in this case. They said, either Galaxy owes BitGo a $100 million termination fee as promised, or it has been acting in bad faith and faces damages of much more than that. I wonder if they will be able to prove that Galaxy was acting in bad faith. That would be a really interesting scenario for Galaxy to have known that they didn't want to be a part of this deal for X amount of time and then to have backed out. So I think it will be an exciting case to watch play out. I'm so curious as to why this keeps happening in the crypto industry. Like maybe I'm just so far removed from regular life. Maybe this happens in regular life. 
But it just feels like there's so much miscommunication when it comes to these mergers, acquisitions, partnerships. We saw it recently with uh, Binance and Wazir X. It wasn't exactly the same, but it's like one company says something that has to do with the other company and the other company is like, actually, that's not true at all. We saw it with Coinbase and the SEC. And so I just like wondered this morning, why does this keep happening in this industry? Are we in need of leadership or like, does this just happen everywhere? And we're so embedded in it that we talk about it every day. I don't know, Zach, what do you think? I think drama, lots of drama here. (laughs) That's all I think. Big time drama. This is what makes business reporting fun, actually, right? Here's these Mm -hmm. big high stakes deals that get announced and sometimes they don't get consummated. This was $1.2 billion. This was a huge acquisition. It It was expected to be among the biggest in crypto history and certainly notable in the broader business press. So for this to, again, not come to pass is crazy. And obviously, we're going to see a bit of contentiousness unfold here. Both sides did not see this as a mutual amicable break. They saw this as one party acting in bad faith. And it's going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because you know I think we were speculating yesterday, again, just based speculation, that maybe this was a mutually agreed upon best course of action. But clearly, as indicated by BitGo's statement yesterday, that's not how they're feeling. So it's going to be wild to see how this unfolds. Jen, tossing it back to you. You're definitely wearing pink. It's kind of like the color situation on the show today, right? We all agreed we were going to wear purple, but then two of us had interpreted that in a different way. That's kind of what's happening in this story, right? You'll be hearing from from my lawyer shortly. Yeah, Yeah. from your lawyer. I mean, if the comments, if the commenters aren't saying that this is purple and that is pink, I'm also, I'm also very upset. The commenters are saying we did you dirty. They are. So I mean, everyone's on your side, Zach. Wendy, I wanted to throw it back to you. Yesterday, you were saying like, this could be a result of market conditions, right? And we know that Galaxy was a big supporter. Well, Mike Novogratz was a big supporter of Terra Luna. It could just be that they're not in a position to move forward with this. They took one part of the contract, interpreted that in a certain way. And they were like, let's just see what's going to happen if we, we get out of this. But I will throw it back to you for final words. I actually like that, your last comment. And I, they probably got, I would imagine that they probably spoke to legal. Legal said, you know what, just do this. This is the best course of action is to just end up having to possibly break the deal and maybe pay the $100 million instead of acquiring it for the $1.2 billion because that's a really big price discrepancy there. So I think that's exactly what happened. And I wouldn't be surprised if the business was just not as profitable or just didn't make sense for them to acquire in this bear market. But the last thing I want to add as I just don't understand how these big companies, especially in crypto, don't plan for bear markets and they're not kind of hedging. Fair Doesn't enough. Make any sense. Fair enough. Coindesk has a new event. It's called Ideas, the Investing in Digital Assets and Enterprises Summit. It facilitates capital flow and market growth by connecting the digital economy with traditional finance. Join us for a 360 investment experience where you can source, invest, and secure the next big deal in digital assets, all in one place. Use code HASH20 for 20% off a general pass. Register today at coinest.com forward slash ideas. I will take it from here. Let's change gears. Let's talk about some stuff. Are you ready? All right, we're going to talk about Tornado Cash. Tornado Cash, really, uh, this action by OFAC, sanctioning Tornado Cash really captivated the attention of the crypto audience last week. And we're still seeing the ramifications of having to comply with this compliance nightmare play out. Now, in the meantime, 
many a DeFi project has gone out there and said, okay, we don't want to get in trouble with the long arm of the law. We're going to comply. And at, at least at the front end level of our decentralized applications, we are going to comply and block some of these addresses that were named by US authorities last week. So when they did this, the predictable cries of, oh, you're not really decentralized, rang out across crypto Twitter. And here, Daniel Kuhn, in an incisive opinion piece for Coindesk, says, hey, these are real lives at play. Stop attacking DeFi founders for complying with the law. You don't want to mess with OFAC. It's bad. And yet, we keep hearing the same cry of, okay, yeah, decentralized in name only. That's fake. Oh, if you can change it, it's not real. So anyway, this is, I think, a really lightning rod issue. Certainly one of the more fascinating, I think, implications from the OFAC thing is who's going to play ball and who's going to say, no, these are decentralized, immutable smart contracts. And in the back end, that may be the case. Uh, but in the front end, we're going to comply at least so that you know the entities that spin up these things don't go to jail. Anyway, a lot of different opinions, I'm sure. I want to toss it to Wendy for her initial thoughts on this one. So essentially, we're supposed to operate in, in a true decentralized economy. But at the same time, that requires great risk. And I understand what was kind of what these founders and what these creators are going through is because they're trying to introduce code, which is essentially language. It should be safe under the First Amendment, but they're trying to create these really, really great products. And then we have all this crazy government overreach coming in saying, no, you can't do that. But at the same time, I think that the crypto community as a whole needs to take a step back and really stop judging people, start using critical thinking, understand maybe these guys have families, maybe they have things at stake, and they can't just continue to put themselves out there because we've seen this time and time again. And we've also seen this with John McAfee. Anytime he put himself out there to kind of take on the brunt from the US government or whatever it is he was doing, nobody stepped in to help at all. Everybody just talked about it on the internet. So the fact is, if you have your life at stake, if your freedom is at stake, your liberty is at stake, I don't see a problem with trying to play the devil's advocate and play with the law and do the right thing. Because at the end of the day, they, the law doesn't care. It's going to come in. They're going to gaffle you up. They can harm your family, all kinds of crazy things. So I think we need to take a step back and just kind of use critical thinking and analyze what's happening here instead of just bullying people. Because you know what? If you want to take the risk, if you want to put yourself out there, then you do it. But stop attacking people on the internet because they're just trying to do the best that they can. Wendy, I 100% agree with you. You took the words right out of my mouth. I think this is this is a really interesting discussion in this piece here. It's obvious that authorities want to slow mass adoption. It's obvious that what's happening and the magnitude of how fast the industry is developing is scaring them. I think that's quite obvious in the bills that are being created and the comments that are being made. But at the end of the day, there are people here who have families, they have mouths to feed. And I think if you want to operate, not only in the industry, but in society, you have to follow the rules and abide by the law as, you know, it, that's what they're there for. If, if we want to exist and we want to keep building towards this future that we talk about all the time, I think you have to abide by the rules. What was interesting to me in this article was the discussion between like the front end user interface and the back end technology and how the back end technology can still exist, still continue to be developed while the front end user interface is not there. I thought that was really interesting. It obviously doesn't kind of fit with the role I play on this show when we talk about onboarding the next million or billion users. But the fact that we can still continue to develop this technology uh, without the front end there is an optimistic take, I think. But Zach, I'll pass it back to you. Yeah, again, this is, these are pseudonymous by design systems with some privacy technology baked in. And that just doesn't comport with like the real world status of policy and regulation. And that is, at its core, what we're seeing here unfold. I don't know if there's necessarily some nefarious plot to inhibit crypto adoption or something like that. You know, on the other side of the ledger, you know, 
Tornado Cash was used by state actors, in this instance, North Korea, to launder large amounts of funds to fund things that the U.S. government does not find especially cool. So there is reason here why this is being targeted. But again, the broad overreach, the broad way that they've gone about doing this speaks to the complicating factors of a system that is pseudonymous, private by design, and doesn't necessarily comport with how the real world works when it comes to existing anti-money laundering practices. So, you know, you mentioned these dusting attacks, right? How do you deal with these dusting attacks? People permissionlessly sending money associated with Tornado Cash to publicly known wallets. It's something that is very crazy. And I think we're going to see continuing ramifications play out from this OFAC uh, action. And some of those ramifications are being directed right now toward DeFi founders who are having to make tough decisions about whether or not to live by the decentralized ethos or potentially live in violation of US law. Wendy, over to you. Last take on this is that I do not like regulation, but at the same time, I understand that I do have to play devil's advocate and kind of work with it. It's a really, it's just not a fun thing for me. I don't like taxes. I don't like the Fed. don't like regulation. But don't at the end of the day, I understand. Television. I, no, I will say it on television because I say it on my <laughs> channel and I say it all the time. I don't like any of these things. I do pay my taxes. I advocate for my audience to pay their taxes, but I don't agree with it. And it's just because I value my liberty and my freedom. Shout out to Naomi Brockwell, founding member of The Hash. She would be all sorts of incensed. We're thinking of you, Naomi. All right, Jen, take it away. What's the last story of the day? All right. In an email statement on Monday, Yuga Labs announced that the IP rights for CryptoPunks and MeBits have been released. So this means that owners of the NFTs can now use the IP in personal or commercial projects. Yuga Labs still owns the IP, but are exclusively licensing the right to use the artwork as long as the NFT is held by an individual holder. So this is really exciting. They're saying, you know, you can now use your NFT in TV shows. You can put your NFT on the side of a food truck. Maybe you want to make some merch and sell it. You can go ahead and do that. So this is an interesting conversation. I have thoughts on both sides of the, of the coin, but Zach, I'm going to pass it down to you for your initial thoughts. Sounds complicated, but cool. And yeah. <laughs> also provides a bit of utility for current holders and prospective buyers of these really expensive JPEGs, right? This becomes a business proposition. I'm going to spend $400,000 on this OG NFT, and I'm going to make a TV show out of it. And I may recoup my expenses somehow, right? That's a, that's a value proposition that is potentially unique to this collection. And obviously, there's some others that are uh, you know experimenting with some of these same features. But again, this makes this collection useful into the future in a way for folks that people who can afford this might be attracted by, right? So again, I think this is broadly like the high end of that utility conversation. You know, hey, the utility here is that this IP is yours and you can make a TV show and you can stand to make money off of it without us, you know, you labs coming after you for our cut. So I think that is pretty cool. And I think it does speak to sort of that true digital ownership thing. I'm curious to see whether or not this does anything in terms of creating demand, right? Does this create sort of gold rush for existing uh, crypto punks out there or not? I'd be curious to see if anyone ultimately finds this incentive, right? This prospect of future gains. I'm interested to see if anyone takes it up and we see any noticeable volume or price spike in terms of these collections. That's that's what I'm thinking. Wendy, what are you thinking? Don't you have a crypto Just- punk? No, I don't have a CryptoPunk. I didn't oh. get in. I got I got some other cool stuff on some private wallets. But just cool. to clarify, so basically Yuga Labs told the CryptoPunk people, the, the people that actually own CryptoPunks, that they can go ahead and use those IP rights and license them out and profit on it and not have to pay Yuga Labs anything. Is that what happened? 
Yeah, so they get the exclusive right commercial and personal use rights. Then I think that is absolutely fantastic. This is one of the very, 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 very many use cases of NFTs. It's where the actual owner of the particular NFT gets to make additional money with royalties or IP rights, merchandising, whatever it is. And I feel like a lot of people fail to understand how important it is, especially when we're talking about the music industry and the entertainment industry, because there's a lot of back-end deals that happen on the secondary markets nobody even talks about. So I think this is fantastic. This is a step in the right direction. And I really do think that NFTs and Metaverse Web3 stuff is going to bring in the next bull run, not financial advice. I also think it's fantastic. I think this is interesting to just look at how NFTs are able to kind of distribute intellectual property rights, right? So if we could think into the future, brands that already have IP that exists in Web2 might use NFTs to license out those rights to be used by people, let's say in the Metaverse. When it comes to CryptoPunks and MeBits, I think there still has to be a lot of marketing done and market research. So we're saying like, we're going to make a TV show out of, out of CryptoPunks. I would love to see how many people want to watch a show that is based on CryptoPunks. I'm sure there is an audience there. I just think that there's more to this that needs to be developed. But I think this is an amazing step in the right direction. And I'm sure some of that market research and, and those go-to-market strategies will come out. So maybe Netflix will just be like, maybe there'll be a whole NFT section. We can learn about all, all of our favorite characters. NFT flicks. Did that get happen? Did that happen yet? Netflix. I think we should make that. Netflix marketing department. Are you there? NFT flicks. Did this happen? <laughs> I've yet to hear back. All right. That's it for the show today. We got to get to the important business of picking our color for tomorrow. We did yellow yesterday. We did purple slash pink today. Red. What are we doing tomorrow? Orange. Red. Red. I'm down with red. Let's do red. Okay, red. let's do red. We're doing red we're tomorrow. Doing red. Wednesday red. Good times. All right. I'm Zach Seward. That's Jensen Atsi. That's Wendy O. We are here. Semi-color coordinated. We're glad you're here with us. Talk to you tomorrow while wearing red. Bye. <laughs> Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.